This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. What would the Canadian national anthem sound like in Yiddish? We made it a sesquicentennial project to find out. And the author of an unexpected best-selling book about your stomach joins us to talk about the gut. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Leaving her education unfinished was never an option for 89-year-old Alma Kuchalik, who went back to York University to finish her degree in gender, sexuality, and women's studies in 2011 after her husband passed away. She started the program in 1978, the same year her daughter started classes at Sir Wilfrid Laurier University, but had to put school on the back burner to go back to work. When she walks the stage at Convocation later this month, she'll become the oldest graduate in York University history. Her advice? Never let anyone say, you can't do something. An 88-year-old British woman has become the world's oldest wing walker. Last week, Betty Bromage got strapped standing onto a vintage biplane at Gloucestershire Airport in England and took to the sky for a few minutes. Wing walking was popular among thrill-seekers in the 20th century as people would walk across the wings of a plane while it was in flight. Betty still has a ways to go to become the oldest human wing walker. Thomas Lackey of Ireland got strapped onto a plane in 2013 at the age of 93. Almost 50 years after the fact, the site of the 1969 Woodstock Music Festival is now being officially recognized for its place in music history. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced this week that the Bethel Wood Center for the Arts in Hudson Valley has been placed on the National Register of Historic Places. He says the festival that drew nearly half a million people to Max Yasger's dairy farm was a pivotal moment in both New York and American history. Adnan Khashoggi, the flamboyant Saudi arms trader who rose to spectacular wealth in the 1970s and 80s and became famous for displays of breathtaking decadence, has died in London at the age of 81. When Saudi Arabia and other Arab states decided to embark on a vast armament program after the 1973 Arab-Israeli War, Khashoggi became their principal link to the American arms trade. At the same time, he partied with the Hollywood elite, traveled in a blinged-out DC-8, and boasted about his bevy of young mistresses. The cause of death is listed as complications from Parkinson's disease. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Did you notice? 
notice anything different about that version of O Canada? The words are in Yiddish. I was delighted to participate in this quirky Canada 150 project that's a perfect tribute to our multicultural makeup. It had a very unlikely start. It was set in motion by author Margaret Atwood, who got in touch with artist Charlie Pachter. It all started because Margaret Atwood emailed me. She said some guy emailed her from Taiwan who wrote for the New York Times and said, did she know of anyone who could do O Canada in Yiddish? Because they were doing it in all kinds of different languages for Canada's 150th. Charlie then got in touch with Marilyn Lightstone, host of Nocturne on Classical FM, and she turned to her friend Hindi Abelson. Hindi Abelson's a, a dear friend of mine, and she is a Yiddishist. She does translation from English into Yiddish and from Yiddish into English. And she told me that she'd done a translation of O Canada, and I said, isn't that fantastic? So I mentioned it to a certain person, and that person mentioned it to someone else, and I thought, well, let's do a big number on it. It's Canada Day coming up very soon. It's our 150th anniversary, and I think it would be wonderful to be involved in the first Yiddish version of O Canada. I'm, I'm so excited and, and so thrilled to be part of this group. It's a very diverse group with Jews and non-Jews, kids as young as four, and 98-year-old Mary Schlanger, a Holocaust survivor, who came with her daughter. Okay. Sing the last line. Canada, mir stehen bei Mom, tell them that you, about you coming from Europe. You came to Canada because it's a free country. Yeah, because we, we were very lucky to come to Canada. Yeah, because we ran away from the Germans to, to start should that was the first day they were flying with the planes and we were very much afraid so we ran to the russian border listen don't sing <laughs> oh canada unser heimatland you got that so it's oh canada And so it came together under the baton of cantor Simon Spiro. You can watch a half-hour special on the making of Yiddish O Canada Monday, June 26th at 9.30 p.m. on our sister station, Vision TV, Rogers 60, Bell 261, and Bell 5 213. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Do you think your gut is charming and even interesting? 
Author and scientist Julia Enders explains why she believes it is. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Best-selling author Julia Enders will be here for the premier meeting of the minds at Idea City on June 14th. She wrote the surprise best-selling book, Gut, the Inside Story of Our Body's Most Underrated Organ. Just what is so interesting about our insides? Julia joined me this week from Germany. Julia Enders, thanks for joining us. Hello. What made you write a book about our guts? Well, it was pretty much the fascination that I had with this organ. Um, I started studying medicine and I soon realized it's simply the best organ that we have. (laughs) And um, I think right now it's a pretty good time in in research also. We have research connecting diabetes, our body weight, our mental health, and uh, even our skin health and immune health and autoimmune diseases. All kinds of things are connected with the gut and how well it's being treated. So kind of understanding it better felt really helpful and powerful at times. So I think I'm, I'm just probably one of the biggest fans of this organ. Now it's just, uh, well, for me anyway, in the last few years that we've started to hear about gut bacteria, gut microbes, and that different microbes, everybody has different microbes in their gut, and, and it governs things like whether you're obese, all kinds of other things. What is your take? Well, I think the fascinating part about this is really that we collect these microbes that will then inhabit our gut, sort of like a word like fate suddenly becomes um, very concrete when you see it's all the decisions you make, what kind of food you eat, what stuff you put in your mouth, what your mood is like, because that would affect the gut bacteria as well. So it's really like a small collection of all these daily small decisions, and this will kind of sort of lead to your microbial fate. And I think uh, that's kind of intriguing idea to me. Um, And then really understanding that they borrow so many abilities to us. They don't only um, help us digest many fibers and stuff, but they also really produce many vitamins and um, really nurture our gut. So they actually have like a very nice relationship helping us out most of the time. And when you look at all the bacteria on this earth, it's actually the ratio of 95% of them really, they can't harm us in any way. They don't have the genes. They're just very helpful or they don't do anything to us. So I think looking at bacteria differently is one thing that will definitely happen as soon as you start understanding more about them and the gut. You're talking about bacteria that we pick up and that suggests an amount of control. But what about the bacteria that we're born with? Because for instance, if it's true that some bacteria govern obesity, people don't have control of that. Well, yeah, that is true. We see that there are some bacteria that can contribute to some diseases. I would say to be careful, it's important to not see this new aspect of research as this will solve it all and not, you know, bacteria are not the only cause for obesity. But the interesting part is actually that they are one factor, one axis that can contribute and increase things or decrease effects. And it's far easier to influence than, for example, our genes. And what you see, for example, is some type of diet will change your gut bacteria so, so fast because you are able 
to give foods to good guys or to bad guys in some terms. So research now has to do this job and look into how is this influence done and what can we do? We can also swallow some bacteria, for example, um, or eat foods that just the good bacteria are able to digest. Um, so there are all these possibilities, but research still has to clear the way for us to know them. But it's definitely far more easy to influence than many other aspects of our health. Okay, so we have control. What about probiotics and prebiotics? What are they and what can we do with that knowledge? I think the really interesting part is those are not new things at all. Um, every culture on this world has for centuries already cultured and had their own probiotics and prebiotics. When you look at, um, for example, Germany, we have sauerkraut. When you go to Korea, you have kimchi. There's fufu in Africa, the, the Swiss cheese, there's salami in um, Italy. And for example, just sausages would not taste like anything if they weren't some type of bacteria added that make the flavor. A salami doesn't taste like anything if you don't have the bacteria for it. So many, many foods used to have all these rich cultures of all kinds of bacteria that we then eat and consume. And people earlier times, they didn't know that they were doing this, but they actually were doing this. And then when we started industrializing food, we started pasteurizing, which was good and made food safer in many ways. But we also didn't know that we were killing off so many bacteria that we used to have in our diet in earlier times that it maybe might be the reason for not having certain diseases because they would protect us from becoming obese or they would protect us from having autoimmune disease. So I think what we're starting now is looking at those microbes that we're not getting anymore in our food. So sauerkraut, for example, is often um, heated so much that the bacteria die before it comes in the store. So many microbes suddenly um, vanished from our diet. And I think what we're doing now is looking at um, the possible candidates that are a bit sad to have left behind and maybe reintroducing them. So it's not a totally new thing, but I would also be careful about jumping on every bandwagon with, oh, if you just eat this strain, then you'll be super healthy because actually we're very much at the beginning of this and, and many bacteria we have now in the labs are sort of nice, like milk acid, lactoacid bacteria, but they're not, as put, like they're not as potent as many microbes that we haven't found yet. What do you want people to take away from your book and your work in terms of changing the way they relate to their own guts? I think what I really love when people give me that feedback is that it's not a book that tells you what, you know, do this, do this, do follow those 10 steps, because I don't really believe in that. I had a skin condition myself, and I don't feel like if somebody just tells me what to do, I, you know, I'm not like this. I, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to understand it. And I think what can really happen is that when you look at this organ and you start to understand it, start in it complexity to really understand it's never stupid or broken or just stupidly trying to bother you it's really more if you cooperate with it well because you understand it better then that's where the cool stuff happens and if you really understand what kinds of food feed the bacteria then just go ahead pick one that you actually like to eat and you know don't stuff uh, healthy things in your mouth that you find horrible to taste but really understand why this 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 and this could work together 
together with your gut, with your microbes, and then pick out what, what tastes good, what works for you. And just, I think, really understanding many ways, like why is there a rumbling noise? What's the appendix for? You know, how, how does pooping actually work? How can I make this easier? What to feed my microbes? All these things, I think they're fun to play with and, and it's, it's cool to do if you understand all the mechanisms behind it. And I think that's just what I'm trying to do. Okay, Julia Enders, uh, we're looking forward to your presentation at Idea City. All right, I'm looking forward to coming to Canada again. Julia Enders is at Idea City on Wednesday, June 14th. If you can't be there in person, you can watch the free webcast at ideacity.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Tom Jones celebrated his birthday this week. We'll talk about The Voice when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. Fifty years after its release, this album's back atop the album charts in Britain. The anniversary is also the catalyst for celebrations in and around Liverpool. Sergeant Pepper at 50, Heading for Home, features commissions from artists to mirror the 13 tracks on the legendary album. In Chicago, a newly opened American Writers Museum is dedicated to literary giants like Ernest Hemingway, celebrating American writing and writers the way we celebrate sports heroes and movie stars. In New York, Spamilton, spoof of the blockbuster Hamilton, has moved to the 47th Street Theater just down the road from where the real deal still packs them in. And in Helsingborg, Sweden, a new museum called the Museum of Failure has opened proudly displaying things such as Harley-Davidson perfume, coffee-flavored Coke, and Sony's infamous Betamax home video system. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This week, The Voice, Tom Jones, celebrated his 77th birthday. He was born Thomas Jones Woodward on June 7, 1940. He comes from Treforest, a small town in Wales. When he was a teenager, he started becoming known in the area for his rich baritone voice. In the early 60s, he became the frontman of a local beat group, Tommy Scott and the Senators. It was with them that Jones was spotted by Gordon Mills, a London-based manager. Mills took Jones to London and was able to get him a record deal. His first single, Chills and Fever, was released in late 1964 and did not make any noise on the UK charts, but his follow-up was a huge success. It hit the number one spot on the UK charts and has since become Tom Jones' signature song. Here it is, Tom Jones with It's Not Unusual. That was Tom Jones with his signature tune, It's Not Unusual. Jones celebrated his 77th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. 
Executive Producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.